We'll be reading from Psalms 9, verses 1 and 2, and verses 7 through 10. I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell you of all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing the praises of your name, O Most High. The Lord reigns forever. He has established his throne for judgment. He rules the world in righteousness and judges the people with equity. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. My apologies to all of you. So much had been accomplished since his journey began, and, and so much of it were things that he didn't really know if they would ever be accomplished. It was one of those things that if it would be accomplished, it would be because God got involved and God did something greater than human beings alone could do. His story began hundreds of miles away in the palace and in the courtroom of the king. The king who surrounded himself with people and ornaments and situations which always were intended to point him towards lifting him up and, and the joy of life being part of what he was constantly surrounded by. Nobody was supposed to show up with a shirt that wasn't tucked in. Nobody was supposed to show up with their hair not done exactly right. Nobody was supposed to show up that didn't look like they were ready to rejoice in the power and in the glory of the king that was there. Nehemiah however, had gotten news from all the way over in Jerusalem where there were people that were coming back in movements that the king of Persia had begun to allow, but they were coming back to ruins, and Nehemiah's heart was broken. Chapter 1 of the book of Nehemiah lays out a prayer that he prays, and we, we see reflected in Nehemiah's prayer and in Nehemiah's heart what Jesus described in the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who mourn. Not simply people who are sad, but people whose hearts are saddened by what saddens the Lord's heart. Nehemiah lays his, his sadness before the Lord. And then Nehemiah makes a key decision. Nehemiah decides to appear before the king, not decked out in all of, all of the things, the trappings that made sure that he was acceptable to the king, but he did something, and the, the text doesn't record exactly what. But the king noticed the minute that he saw Nehemiah that he was sad. My understanding and my interpretation of the text said that he changed something about his countenance. Whether his hair wasn't exactly right or his top button wasn't buttoned exactly right. Whatever it was, Nehemiah, Artaxerxes recognized that Nehemiah looked different that day and looked different in a purposeful way not such that the king said oh Nehemiah you need to straighten this out it was Nehemiah you're sad and I can tell you're sad what you need to know is that Nehemiah took his life in his own hands when he decided to appear before the Lord in this way you could be killed for not showing up in party mode in front of Artaxerxes or in reality many of the ancient kings but instead, the king, and Nehemiah will attribute this directly to the prayers that he had been praying to the Lord, took mercy on him and asked him what was wrong. 
Nehemiah prayed, as the text tells us, and then he said, I need you to know about my homeland. You've sent the people home. In fact, your father sent uh, people home, but, but where they're living and, and their situation is desperate. The wall is broken down, and there's no way that they can be who they need to be, be safe from the peoples that surround them. Do the things that you want them to do, King Artaxerxes, without those kinds of things. And so he asked. Again, you need to understand, this is a servant, a captive slave serving in the king's court who had found enough favor in the king's eyes. Again, the text is very clear. Favor that the Lord granted to Nehemiah through Artaxerxes. Found enough favor in Artaxerxes' life. Said, let me do. Tell me what I can do to help you. Nehemiah went about the process of saying, send me back. Send me back with authorization to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And so it was that Artaxerxes gave him permission to go. Going was one thing. Assembling the supplies and motivating and inspiring the people to work was going to be something entirely different. And again, Nehemiah falls on his knees and asks God, help me with everything that needs to be done. Well, there were plenty of troubles. First of all, the the wall was in complete disarray. While material of stone was there, it was down at the bottom of the hill where the Babylonians had knocked it down a hundred years ago. And the people were just kind of surviving, and it wasn't sure that they could accomplish much of anything. But Nehemiah went about saying, let's divide this up. Different families take different parts, different sections of the wall, different gates, different family groups. And there is this incredible, in chapter 3 and 4, It's an incredible list of the names of families who took responsibility for different parts of the wall. I don't know about you, but I think it would be pretty cool to have your name on on a list that's preserved for thousands of years, preserved for all of God's people to read and say, this person did something extraordinary with the Lord's help to to bring about refounding. And for them, the walls of Jerusalem were like refounding the kingdom of God. But it wasn't just about getting the people motivated. It wasn't just about breaking up the job in good, good sections so that people knew they, they just had this much to do. But there were folks uh, like a guy like named Sandballot. I don't know. If I ran into a guy named Sandballot, I'd think he was trouble too. So maybe you would. But Sandballot comes and he's, he's one of the foreigners who's living around Jerusalem And he basically has been able to make his money and be successful taking advantage of the people who lived in Jerusalem because they didn't have protections, and he doesn't like it. And Sanballat set out doing several different, and his friends set several different kind of ways to try and prevent them, the threat of of people coming and, and attacking the city. Also, to spread rumors about how Nehemiah is taking advantage of them. Story goes in a lot of different directions as far as the way Nehemiah's efforts are opposed. But it happened. The text tells us that in 52 days, the wall was back in place. And the people rejoiced when the wall was back in place. They had had to build with one hand on a stone, or one hand in some mortar, and the other hand with a weapon in it. 
they took rotations, some standing guard and others doing the building. But bottom line is, in 52 days, they accomplished what, in reality, no one, and maybe even at one point, Nehemiah felt like they could do. And when Nehemiah looked at it, he said, only God could have done this. But he recognized that getting the people back to where God needed them to be wasn't going to just be about walls. It was going to take more than that. And so we're going to read some excerpts from Nehemiah chapter 7 and chapter 8. I'd invite you to read along with me. The people of Israel had settled down in their towns in the seventh month. All of them gathered together and they went to the open area in front of the water gate. They told Ezra to bring out the scroll of the law of Moses. The Lord had given Israel that law so they could obey him. It was the first day of the seventh, seventh month. The group was made up of men and women and everyone who was old enough to understand what Ezra was going to say. He read the law to them from sunrise until noon. He did it as he faced the open area in front of the water gate. And all of the people paid careful attention as Ezra was reading the scroll of the law. Ezra, the teacher, stood on a high wooden stage. It had been built for the occasion. And as he opened the scroll, the people stood up. Ezra praised the Lord. He is the great king. And all of the people lifted their hands and they said, And won't you join in with them now? Amen and amen. And then they bowed down. They turned their faces toward the ground. And they worshipped the Lord. The Levites taught the, taught the law to the people. They remained standing while the Levites taught them. And they made it clear to them. And they told them what it meant. So the people were able to understand what was being read. Take just a quick break here. What it sounds like is happening is Ezra is up on a stand and reading a scroll. And he would probably read a section of the scroll of the law. And then he would hesitate, and then these Levites, these teachers of the law, would be spread out in the crowd, and they would say, you need to understand that this is what this means, and this is what this means. It may have actually been the process of translating it from the Hebrew it was written, originally written in into a language that they would understand, in the same way that we might have trouble understanding everything that a King James Bible or an Old English Tyndall Bible might say. Even though we speak English, we might need to hear the words a little differently they needed to hear the words, but I think it was more than that. It was an expansion on what was said. What's meant here is that we are to be this way. What's meant here is that we are to honor God in this way. So that they understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah and Ezra spoke up. This is a day set apart to honor the Lord your God. This is key. So don't sob. Don't be sad. Because all the people had been sobbing as they listened to the words of the Lord. And you, you know that process of the word of God pricking your heart and the spirit motivating you. And it brings tears to your eyes. And Nehemiah and Ezra said, no, 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 not today. There will be days when we're going to cry. But this is not that day. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy some good food and sweet drinks. Send some of it to those who don't have any. This day is set apart to honor your Lord. So don't be sad. The joy of the Lord is your strength. 
Let's say that together before we finish the reading. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And let's make it personal. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Thank you for joining me. Then all the people went away to eat and drink. And they shared their food with others. And they celebrated with great joy. Now, we could list a bunch of things that they're celebrating. The fact that they're now safe again. The fact that to a certain extent in their eyes and in their culture and their world, the kingdom had kind of been reestablished in a new way. They could celebrate the fact that, that they had survived this process and that God had done something that was far greater than anything they could have ever accomplished on their own. They had to look at it and say, wow, God! But they went away with great joy because they understood the words that they had heard. It's hard to envision a world where the word of the Lord is not just everywhere we turn. You and I probably walk around in households that have little pieces of scripture distributed throughout them. When you come to church, you walk in and pieces of scripture are on the walls. We gather together, and whether or not we gather together physically or we're gathering together over the internet, and the ether brings us into places where we hear the word of the Lord, it's just... It's somewhere that we can access it all the time. And for those people, though, there was a sense that they hadn't heard. In their generation, they hadn't heard. Or at least they hadn't heard it in a way that said, this needs to be part of your life. And Nehemiah emphasizes, the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord will be my strength. So often we talk about the joy that God wants to bring into our life. And we, we point to the songs like, Joy to the World! And we sing at Christmas and we say, Look how joy has come into the world through Jesus. But see, the joy of the Lord has been from the moment of creation and will be until God recreates it all at the end. The joy of the Lord is not a situation where we look around and we say, look at all this stuff there is to be joyful about. The joy of the Lord comes because our hearts have been aligned with what brings joy to God. Have you ever thought about kind of reframing our lives, not in the, the sense of understanding that, oh, joy, God needs to bring me joy. If I'm going to serve him, if I'm going to give him my life, if I'm going to do all these terrible things that mean following his law, isn't that the way sometimes we think about it? All the sacrifices we have to make to live a life that is in complete congruence with the way God created us and the way God created the world. And somehow or another we think this is sort of an imposition on us. And it is true. Satan wants to make sure that we understand that if you wanted to be selfish, you can't follow God's law and make no mistakes. So oftentimes we define joy not in terms of what brings joy to the world, not in terms of what brings joy to God. We determine joy based on am I getting what I selfishly need and want. And we say, God, wait a minute, the world right now, is not bringing me joy. The world right now is bringing me separation from the people I love. The world right now is making loneliness bigger 
than I want it to be. The world right now is bringing divisions between people for things that should never divide them. And we can't even seem to find common ground oftentimes to have conversations about our desire so that the things that divide us take a back seat to the things that make us one. We find so often that the world wants to tell us if you're going to have joy, you need to go pursue what's yours or what you want. Put yourself first. Nehemiah could have sat in the king's court and had a very comfortable life for all of his days. All he needed to do on the day he needed to show up in court and do his thing, he needed to be sure he was well-dressed, He clearly had a good relationship with the king to whatever extent a servant has with the king. Could have just had an easy life. Instead, he chose to make a hard journey to a hostile place to do something hard. Not because it was easy or maybe even something that you would say, well, he'll be happy when that's over. I think he had a struggle. And the marks that that left on him. He was not richer when it was done. He was worked. And he still had work to do. And yet he said, I want to do it because it will bring joy to God. It is the joy that fills God's heart. Not my heart. But even more. I don't know exactly what the negotiation was like. He and Ezra get together and say, well, you know, wall, great, but we've got another thing we need to rebuild, and that's God's word in people's hearts. We want that sweetness of God's word to fill up the lives of all these people who've struggled for so long, who've been in such desperate straits. We want it to fill them up. And so they read the word of God pricks their heart. You can see it in their response. And he says, but I want you to celebrate. Because knowing God's word, listening to God's word, and doing God's word brings joy to God's heart. And so I want you to celebrate. Because the joy of the Lord will be our strength today and as we move forward. I have to ask you, I If you're anything like me, the days can kind of just get lost. Kind of get lost in what we're missing, what we're not getting to have, what we the the, the impositions on us. And yet we have this opportunity to say, you know, my life is not going to be about me. It's not going to be about selfish gain. It's going to be about serving others. It's going to be about honoring God. It is going to be about being tuned in to what brings joy to God's heart. You know, I don't like the mask any more than you do. I don't breathe well. I am one of the people who wears glasses. And for those of you who don't wear glasses, I do not want to hear you complaining about masks because it is not the same experience. But nonetheless, what I've recognized is that the, the mask isn't about protecting me. When I put on a mask to go into a store, I put on a mask because I'm going to be around people and not be outdoors. And even if they're six feet away... If I wear a mask, it's not about protecting me. It's about any possibility that I have infectious things in my breath has a much more difficult time being delivered to others if I'm wearing a mask. 
I don't want to, it's inconvenient, would be one thing if we were saying it because it was protecting us and we're saying, I am willing to take the risk to take on a virus, but it's not. That's about my joy. The Lord's joy is about our lives being emptied for Him and respecting others and being selfless. And so we wear the mask when we need to wear the mask because we're protecting others. When you tune into this service, maybe, maybe you have enjoyed the process of just staying in your pajamas and it's been fun to, to do church in your pajamas. And yet... Giving that time to God and, and, and taking the Lord's Supper together as a community, as the live stream goes on and we do it together, I think there's something that brings joy to God's heart when you set that time apart. But did you notice? It wasn't just reading the Word of God, hearing the Word of God and understanding the Word of God, which developed a vertical relationship that brought the Lord's joy into their life and that their life brought joy into the heart of God. But did you see, immediately there's the component of taking care of those who can't take care of their stuff. Standing up for the defenseless. Already a horizontal aspect to what they were doing. The next few weeks of the summer are going to be spent in looking at the things that the Bible tells us bring joy to God's heart and how we need to work those into our own lives so that we can have the joy of the Lord. Not from a selfish basis or because I want to be, quote, happy. Because it is my joy to bring honor, glory, and to fill up the Lord's heart with joy. I'd ask you to, to get out your bread and your cup that you're prepared for there and to have it ready and to recognize that nothing makes God happier than for you to be filled up with him and you to be brought into even deeper relationship with him and while partaking of the of the bread and the cup don't necessarily mean that they are the powerful reminder I want to be in you, and I want you in me. Not just your death, burial, and resurrection. Not just your death and the cross, but the life of the resurrection. When the life of the resurrection takes its place in our lives, it is joyful to God's heart. Come together, and let's sing about being nearer, still nearer, to God's heart.
appreciate you joining us today. A couple of things that we want to be sure and pray about. I want to particularly point you to Thursday, July the 9th. That update will have a lot of details on most of this that I'm not going to mention here, but we do have a couple of updates. First of all, we're thankful for Frank Kickle, and today's his birthday. If you get a chance to send him a happy birthday message, I know that he would appreciate it very, very much. We're thankful that Vicki Wunderlich and Sherman continue to do well. We want to lift up Brian Moore and Bobby and Jackie Fuller, who all are suffering from COVID, uh, most of them minimal symptoms, but again, please lift them up. We want to be sure and remember Bernice Skinner. As the update on Thursday detailed, she's uh, struggling and things are not going as well as we would like. We want to lift up Alan Lee and St. Joseph's and William Hickel and Helen Cole, who recently suffered an additional stroke and is struggling with that as well. I want to be sure that we remember Sandra Mullins. We mentioned her on the Thursday update, but she has had to, they had to move up the, the surgery that they had anticipated doing on Monday, and they had to do it yesterday, uh, a arthroscopic procedure on a valve in her heart, the aortic valve, and they were able to successfully accomplish and stabilize her. They may still need to do a replacement in the future, but right now things have gone as well. In fact, Ronnie heard from her. She called him this morning. We're thankful for that. Uh, glad she's doing as well as she is. We got a note from the Schertz family. If you're not aware, J.D., uh, their teenage son, uh, 11 years ago, uh, fought against leukemia and won that battle. And if you've met J.D., you know, won it resoundingly. But Tuesday is his annual checkup. And for any of us who have struggled through cancer, we know that those checkups are a bit stressful. And they ask for our prayers along that line. We want to continue to remember April Barton. We got an update yesterday that while still critical, is stable, was able to give the nurses a thumbs up in response to things, and they feel good about the, the brain activity at least being there at some level. And they've now installed a camera in the room with her so that uh, Jack and Carol can kind of keep tabs on her even though they can't be there presently. And we also got an update from Thursday that Nicole Swanson's surgery uh, to relieve the blood clot issues, uh, the doctors described as a complete success, and so we're very, very thankful for that. I want to invite you to be a people who not only see uh, the celebration of being singing songs to God and 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 praying prayers of thanksgiving, but but we just turn the page in Nehemiah, and and about three weeks later it says the twenty fourth day of the month. They gathered again in that same place, and again they heard the word of the Lord. But this time they came in a heart of confession. You know, sometimes we, we get pushed away from confession. Satan wants to kind of convince us that that's not, that's not what we need to be doing. And the New Testament is replete with Jesus' encouragement and the writers of the letters to the church's encouragement. We need to be a confessional people. I think there's a great power the great joy that comes to God's heart when we come to Him. He's not condemning us when we confess. He is affirming that I can fill all those empty places up. When we confess, what we're saying is we need you, God. If there's any way that, that you want to 
be confessional with God today. And maybe you want to do that with a, a group of friends. Feel free to reach out to any of them. I know our elders, uh, their numbers are easily accessible on our, our church, instant church directory. And you can call them, share with them. You could reach out and place what you, on your heart, on the, on the Facebook page, should you choose to. But if, if there's a, a reason that you need to keep it fairly private and, and keep it confidential, then reach out to the number that's on the screen, 979-217-3300. We'll be monitoring that and looking and seeing how we can be God's help, seeing how we can join with you in the joy of the Lord becoming your strength. Let's take just a minute and think about lifting our hearts to God in confession.